Greetings and welcome to episode 57 of the NC Raw podcast. want to give you a quick heads up. We have launched a Patreon page. You can become a patron of NC Raw for as little as a dollar a month. And what that's going to do is it's going to support us in our long-term dreams um, and our long-term goals of building a recording studio for NC Raw located in Western North Carolina, where we will, that'll double as a kind of community center, a place, a gathering place for people in long-term recovery. Um, We're not looking to provide any type of therapeutic services. It's a place for people to gather and build community and create connections that will support us throughout our recovery process. Um, I'm talking about a place where we can gather on a Friday night and have a movie or do a barbecue on a Sunday night um, with the recording studio being housed inside of this inside of this uh, this space so if you are gracious enough to check out our patreon page visit patreon.com slash nc raw and you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month Um, we also have stuff for you if you decide to join the page Um, you're going to give access to exclusive content. You're going to get a live look in a live stream for about 20 to 30 minutes every Monday night before we start our show. So around 630, we're going to go live. We did it for this episode. Episode number 57 is up there, uh, behind the scenes look at what we do prior to recording the show. Um, you're also going to get early access to every podcast that's available um, this podcast is currently in its video format from YouTube is currently only available to patrons on the page for like the first 24 to 48 hours. Only patrons will have access to it and then we will release it to the general public after that. So um, there's something in it for you as well. And we also want it's a it's a way that for us to communicate with each other outside of the typical like social media platforms. Um, it's a place where we can can communicate um, personally, myself, you, Caleb, everybody, um, had some good conversations with the few patrons who have jumped on board already and and you'll hear their names here shortly. We gave them a shout out on this particular episode. We gave them some love for jumping on, on the first day of this thing being live, but you'll be able to engage with us and post and talk about the show and talk about, um, what you like, what you don't like, what you want more of all of the above. We value your opinions. We value feedback from you guys so um yeah that's that today's episode features the return of ginger living proofware if you remember ginger was on episode number seven here we are 50 episodes later and she's back for episode number 57 and she came to talk to us about um overcoming challenges in long-term recovery approaching her seventh year in long-term recovery and she's had a challenging couple of months and she wanted to be completely transparent with both myself and our audience about her challenges because there is there's strength in sharing that story um for myself for her for all of you guys there's power in the story so um i enjoyed the conversation i think that it was extremely courageous of her to come forward and be that transparent with us. So um, Johnny Kennedy sat in with us 
Johnny Kennedy is a close friend who's working on a, a big project um, relating to the opioid epidemic and to both active use and long-term recovery. He's collecting um, oral histories. He's collecting stories from you, from people who people in recovery or people who are in active use about their particular experience. So um, we gave out his information on the podcast. If you would like to tell your story to Johnny, he's going to be compiling all of these all of these stories together as an oral history and taking it to legislature to try to to try to make some changes on um, in regards to like access to care and barriers and stuff like that. It was a good conversation. Great podcast. I enjoyed it. So I hope you do as well. Give it up for Ginger, Living Proofware and Johnny Kennedy. Individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life. Is going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why I stand before you impeccably, so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional And I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional I am incredible, Leo conventional And you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of NC Raw. We got some familiar faces at the table today. Miss Ginger, living proof wear. That's right. Johnny, mother effing Kennedy. Yep. Uh, before we get started, my camera is shaking. Before we get started, be careful on those tables. I want to give a shout out. I want to give some love to the four people who jumped on board our Patreon page. The first 24 hours it was live. Awesome. I want to give them a shout out and let them know how grateful we are for the support that they found enough value in my ramblings and bubble the love sponge stories that they decided to throw a couple dollars towards NC Raw to get us into our own personal home space. Mm-hmm. Um, my girl Gladys Ross, Lori Ross, good friend. Shout out to Lori. Matt Bryant, Mad Meal Preps. Oh, yeah. Give him some love. Check out his food. Oh, it's amazing. I wish I could afford to do Order that. some food. His mother, Carmen Lynn Bryant. Wow. Who I chatted with today uh, through the Patreon page. She's enjoying the show. And last but not least, a classmate, Wynette Wiles. Want to give awesome. all four of you guys mad love for supporting NC Raw. And I want to say to all four of you, if you want one of my Living Proof Wear shirts for being a patron, 
um, then let us know. Let Steve know, and we'll make sure you get one. Boom. How about that? Bam. Done. Because we do this together. So what's been going on, Ginger? It's been a while since you've been at this table. What did you tell me when you first walked in the door about the sevens? Oh, yeah. So uh, I get to say this again. Johnny. Did you already hear this, Johnny? (laughs) No. Mm -mm. Just what he was talking about a minute ago. So I was on episode number seven. Now I think it's so ironic that I'm on episode number 57. Like, I heard a rumor, though. I heard a rumor, like, there have been a lot of episodes, a lot of really popular people on the podcast, but I heard you were the best. That's what I heard. I'm not saying (laughs) I'm the best, because there have been some amazing, phenomenal people on these podcasts. Well, everyone that's been on here... It, I have had some amazing, phenomenal stories. But you have some, some statistics, some mathematical numbers behind your, your dominance. She brought the data. She brought the data. I always bring the data. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my podcast. But I have a social media following, don't, too. Sweet, don't hold back, sweetie. So my pod, So I was <laughs> on episode number seven. Episode number seven. Episode number 57. My episode number seven has hit 7.2K views. I haven't looked in a while. so far back. So you haven't looked in a I looked at it. I get up every morning. Shut the front door. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it the other day, and it's like 7.286 or something. So it's probably headed to 7.2. Half of them is me. Half Cranking of me. Cranking up there. Try, yeah. Trying to be your biggest fan, Ginger. No. But, um, and I really don't know, <laughs> and I wasn't able to boost it because it's a personal page. <laughs> so everyone thinks, oh, you boosted it. That's why. Who would say so that? Who I really that? don't know um, how it hit so high other than the people that already follow me and watch my stuff. And um, like, I have some really strong supporters. Well, you can, I mean, you can also like hire like a tech company from like India or Japan yes. just to watch it over and you over. Can you can yeah, pay for views. Yeah, it could be views. like Scandal <laughs> and you know where they did that whole uh, Google thing where they made themselves the most wanted but person. To honestly, look up. I just, I think it's just because you're number one. Johnny Kennedy, have you gone back and watched that episode? <sighs> How many times have I seen that <laughs> thing? Oh, shut the front door. Have you really watched it? Have it would be like it? Cinnamon Noble would be I like, think I did send Cinnamon will be like, what do you want to watch tonight before we go to sleep? Oh, my Jesus. It's an Egg Eaters hype Ooh. video. Yeah. Not that thing you got, sweetie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to know more about her. I need to know word for word what she says. But have you ever really, truly watched the whole thing through? I think you did when we first started. When yeah, we first yeah. Met, didn't we? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know you're. I was watched it. You were like, you better watch it, or I'll, I'll kick you. <laughs> I'm not talking. To you. Yeah, I'm yeah. not gonna help you. And I will say that um, the relationship that Johnny Kennedy and I have um, is plugged through a substance use disorder presentation um, and exhibit that he's planning to do. I'm gonna let him. Uh, I'm gonna let you Great. plug that in just a minute. But <clears throat> before. Um, I get into my spiel and why what I came to talk about tonight. Um, you know, I just need to take a moment to uh, say a prayer, honestly, here at this place over um, Caleb McCoy and his family. Um, Caleb has been a co-host and uh, founding father with Stephen Steen yes. of um, of NC Raw and here since day one, and. Um, and I would never speak on this if I didn't know the intent and purpose of uh, Caleb's um, Caleb's desire to break the stigma 
And um, I think it takes tremendous and amazing courage to um, come out and say that um, yesterday he lost his sister uh, to an overdose. She would have been 40 years old this year. And uh, I met his sister uh, this past summer when she was gaining some momentum and some clean time. And um, uh, she struggled a lot. And um, I just really honestly want to pray right now for... um, that family, and um, just say, Father, I just ask that you be with them during this time, that you continue to watch over um, Ruth and Caleb and Caitlin and all four of Leanne's beautiful children, um, and that we understand that you are a God that gives and takes away, and um, we are not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned, but I know that um, there's always purpose in the pain, always purpose in the loss, and always great victory on the other side of that. And I just praise and thank you that Caleb and Caitlin have become mighty um, warriors for you, God, that they can bring their family through this on the other side. And, um, and I just ask that you give them peace that surpasses all understanding. You watch over them and lead them and guide them and direct them and that you just be with them during this precious, precious time. It is so hard for us to understand loss. Um, here on earth, but we know that there's reasons for it in heavenly places, Lord, and I just thank you for all that you've done for us and and the amazing gift that you've given us through Caleb and Caitlin's sobriety, and that you continue to watch over that family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So, Thank you, um, Ginger. You're welcome. Uh, Well, I mean, I love Caitlin and Caleb um, tremendously. Um, He's had a lot of losses this last year and a lot of victories, and that's kind of like where I'm at in my story, you know, um, a lot of losses and a lot of victories in this last year. And so, and we'll get more into that, but I am going to say that uh, this amazing, funny relationship that Johnny Kennedy and I have comes from um, uh, an open society foundation on substance use disorder that's here to break the stigma. Um, that we pray that even though in the midst of Caleb and Caleb planning a wedding and dealing with a funeral, that um, they will be able to come to the table sometime before um, he wraps up his oral histories. And um, that due to having such a phenomenal relationship with a powerhouse Steven, in recovery. You. <laughs> You're more than welcome, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be one of those nights. And who connected, Stephen? Ginger, ginger okay. thank you, thank okay. you, Ginger, okay. thank you, Ginger. Mm, it's not me; it's the God in me. Thank you for <laughs> humility. Anyway, um, so uh, tell them more about. So we're up to about maybe sixty people on deck between stories that you've gotten and you have scheduled. We're looking for forty more. Um, I want to give you a chance to, um, like promo that so that there's people that are listening that'll be like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. Yeah, so I'm uh, collecting a hundred oral histories. I'm simply sitting down, having a coffee, and having a conversation and just listening. I have no agenda, I have no judgment. My idea is at this moment in time, one of my ideas is that a hundred oral histories about people who have experienced addiction, they're either in recovery or they're currently using or anywhere across that is historically significant at this moment in time when overdose deaths are more you have more of them than than car accidents so it's that's just changed it's historically significant to capture these stories at this moment it's also uh great for my like 
punk rock roots is that I firmly believe the establishment, whether it's the pharmaceutical companies or law enforcement or the medical establishment or the insurance companies or the policymakers have done a bad job over the last decades with how we deal with addiction. And I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything super crazy or yet. radical yet. yet. But I'm listening to uh, 100 stories, around 10 of those people from those stories. We're going to do some portraits. We're going to have a travel, traveling exhibit heavily in Western North Carolina to Raleigh. And hopefully we'll find some sponsors to also sponsor it as we go to Washington, D.C. with it. But I, I love uh, laughing with Stephen and Ginger. But I also want to say something really nice is that the stuff, the core beliefs I have is no different than their core beliefs, which Ginger's core belief is that she sees the humanity in every single person mm -hmm. and everyone she works with. She sees that essence of what makes them human. And Stephen is just just like me. We're kindred spirits and we believe that storytelling, listening, connecting with people's experience there's nothing n nothing more wor worthwhile to like base a, a project a life around than giving yourself over to community and spending time with them and listening and learning mm -hmm. who they are so i'm not doing anything these guys aren't doing and i think that's why we're kindred spirits in this project Aww, thank amazing. you johnny and so anyone that wants to get on board wants to tell their story um even in active addiction we really really are seeking stories of people that are still in active addiction. And that's because um, there's a breakdown in society that does not realize that um, we are humans, like Johnny said, suffering from a human condition. And there was a time in my life where um, I wasn't looked at the same way. See, I'm unrecognizable now to my old self, who I used to be. And um, that's all through the process of recovery. And people look at me today and they're like, there's no way you were strung out on meth and you got all these charges and you did this and you did what? That's not you. They just don't know who I really was and what I would have given for someone to see me through the eyes that people see me through with today that give me the respect. And I'm still the same person. I've just gone in a different direction. You know, I'm still the same uh, little girl that wants to be loved and paid attention to and wants to um, have understanding and relationships and friendships. And, and um, so it's so important to see the humanity in people who still struggle actively with addiction. Um, so, and those people in these stories can remain anonymous. They can use a persona, a false name, initials. They can just be the anonymous one that tells their story. And the reason why I encourage anyone who knows someone that's in active addiction to come to the table in this is because those are the stories that we lack because of the paranoia and the fear of the police and the fear of getting caught and, and having consequences. But those are the ones that are suffering the most. Like I remember what it was like to suffer, but I'm not in that same place of suffering. And today, you know, like the situation with Caleb when he talks about breaking the stigma and being honest about his sister overdosing. In the harm reduction world, I, you know, my first question was, I mean, my first statement is, one dose of Narcan could have saved her life. One dose of Narcan. But there's so much stigma behind Narcan and syringe exchange and harm reduction. And it's like I encourage those people to come to the table because they have a story to tell about how the hospitals treat them with so much stigma when they go to the hospital for an abscess and they treat them like they're nothing and they're trash because 
they're in active addiction, when they seek help for hep C and they won't give it to them because they're still actively using, um, because they um, <clears throat> are treated uh, and physically locked down at Mission Hospital is their protocol for anyone who has endocarditis. And endocarditis comes from not using other people's needles, but from reusing the same needles due to lack of access to syringe exchange or needles or, or um, pharma pharmacies who have the power to sell them but want identification, which is illegal, that want, um, you know, want to get all in your business and treat you like trash and look down at you when you come to buy syringes when you're really trying to um, just stay safe in that place you're at right now, you know? Um, and so I really encourage those people because they have a voice about how they're treated when they go to the hospital with endocarditis and they spend five weeks in the hospital to fight the infection and then the hospital says, you need a new heart valve, but our doctors aren't gonna touch you because you're still in active addiction. So rather than see what they can do to provide treatment or any kind of resources to connect them physically to um, the recovery process, they turn them back out into the street due to that stigma. So um, those are the stories that I have heard so much of working in harm reduction and syringe exchange that I really would pray people would find the courage to come to the table on. I, I'd raise up even another step that it's your story is important for you uh, to tell that story and to share that story but your story is so important for the entire community because the entire community is not going to hear about this project which we're working on, this collection of stories. Mm -hmm. And But if you tell your story about what you're actually experiencing, how you're interacting with the medical system, how you're interacting with the law system, how you're interacting with, with uh, the recovery system, and we have people who tell their story, that's going to be have a large impact and you're going to be the voice of your entire community. So yeah. please. Yeah, and then the ability to, um, this becomes part of policy building yep. and policy making. So getting more funding for harm reduction, getting more funding for syringe exchange, getting more funding for treatment processes for people to not have to, when someone says, okay, because I work in the field, so when someone comes in, even in the syringe exchange and says, I'm ready, my window is like this. It's like a window with no hinges. Yep. It goes up and it's going straight right back, back down, down, and I better catch it while I can. And then when I say, okay, we can, we can give you help, but you gotta go home for two weeks and wait for a bed. Mm -mm, that's yeah. not, what are you doing? You're going home to wait to die? And, and, and my, when I was in syringe exchange, I was, those people were like the ones I was loading up with Narcan, mm -hmm. because let me keep you alive, please, until we can get you to that place and hope that you're still willing to get there. Go there when we get there. You know, yeah, we so I mean, we just need a, a larger conversation and a very serious conversation with the policymakers and lawmakers. We need more funding for recovery. We meet, need more funding for harm reduction. You know, steady collect over over in Asheville because of that issue uh, of zoning, which has been uh, worked out, still lost funding of fifteen thousand dollars. And it was that was that was their needle funding. That's that was their bucket of needle. That's insane that like that's the bucket which gets the fallout of this thing which worked out for them that they're still able to give needles out is that they lost 15,000 in needle funding. So, like, it's time for Western North Carolina to take that lead through right. stories, through policy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, influencing policymakers, working with Mayhek on this, working with North 
Carolina Harm Reduction, working with Open Society Foundation, looking for these ways which we can influence policy and influence decisions. Well, there's so many things that are taken, so many awesome things that are taking place in Western North Carolina oh when it comes yeah. to recovery. You've heard so much of it. I've heard so much of it over the last year or so. The doing community this is show. amazing. It's thriving, yeah. man. It's thriving. And so my question to you, Johnny Kennedy, is are the policymakers willing to hear? Are the policymakers willing to listen? I just, I don't know what the, 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 the jam is on this and why people can't just move this thing forward. I don't know what, like, we'll take, just take a step back. Steady Collective, for example, of policymakers not working with uh, harm reduction were like, you cannot distribute needles in West Asheville. And they, they cited them as a shelter. a shelter rather than like two hours a week needle exchange. And the insanity of that thing was by the halfway through last year, they had already like got notifications and, and data on 86 reversals. Mm -hmm. So they had distributed Narcan, they had 86 people who did not die because of mm -hmm. their Narcan distribution. And so does, does the city, does it want 86 dead bodies on the street? Like mm -hmm. that's gonna kill in you. In Western North Carolina? In Western North Carolina, that's gonna kill your tourist like mm -hmm. Beer City is done mm -hmm. if you have 86 dead bodies mm -hmm. in West West Asheville, and so I just I don't understand this this disconnect. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. They think it's just going to go away if there's no needle exchange. They think it's mm -hmm. just going to go away if they ignore people who need beds when they when they want recovery. They mm -hmm. think it's just going to go away by you doing this amazing job with the the legal system. Like, mm -hmm. is that it? We, we're just going to put people in prison and then put them out in the street and they're mm -hmm. going to overdose and that's our solution? Mm -hmm. I just don't get it. I don't get what it Well, um, so <laughs> you say things like, um, are people willing to listen? So um, part of my story is that I said with one year clean, I will be on the congressroom floors in my high heels, changing legislation where drug-related offenses and convicted felons are concerned for employability <clears throat> and other things, and it's grown into more and more and more and more and more. And so um, I was recently at the summit. You were mm -hmm. there with mm -hmm. me um, when someone from the attorney general's office was there, yeah. and, um, and I challenged them. And I mean, I just hate to say it this raw, but like I broke it down like coleslaw, and I was like, look, you want to talk about reentry and you want to talk about all these things that are going on, um, but you don't want to support what the legal system looks at what reduces recidivism. So how can I make it a longer period of time before they reoffend? Re instead of looking at how can I, how can we make them successful to yeah. not even yeah. reoffend? Yep. Instead of looking at the timestamp between the time that they reoffend. Yep. And so um, when I said what I said there, you know, I said we don't support them. Um, um, with shelters, with housing, with food stamps, with amenities, with, you know, the basic needs are not fulfilled when people re-enter into society. But what we will give them back is the right to vote for that same individual, for that attorney general, for legislation. So you want to give them the right to vote for you back, but you don't want... <laughs> you don't want to give them the opportunity to be successful in that same community. And um, so that was very hard for me. But doing that, 
um, provoked a conversation that has now um, led to an invitation for me to um, the state reentry conference on March 12th. And um, when we say, are they willing to listen? <laughs> That's not my question. My question is, are we willing to advocate? Are we willing to fight? Are we willing to be the examples? Are we willing to come to the table and, and not be aggressive, but be willing to see, okay, so I've done the whole psychology thing. I have an alphabet soup behind my name, you know, since I've gotten clean. And um, so then I started going to school for criminal justice and everyone's like, what, what are you doing? And I was like, dude, I do not wanna be a cop. <laughs> Although I totally always think law enforcement. Every time I see law enforcement, I'm like, thank you for your service. I have built some amazing relationships with law enforcement here in Haywood County, in Buncombe County. She would scare um, the pee out of me if you pulled me over. Shut the front door. <laughs> um, so I've built some amazing relationships, and I'm so grateful for them and their kindness and their ability to see us as humans. Like, that's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, it's like, that's not why I started going to school for this. I started going to school for this because, okay, we want them to break the stigma for addiction. We want individuals and law enforcement and legislation and Congress to accept us as humans. We want them to see us as um, productive members of society, as the ability to, but so if we wanna bridge the gap between recovery and law enforcement, we've gotta, I've gotta be willing to come to the table with them on their difficulties and what they struggle with, you know? And so how do I do that better than embedding myself into their community? Like we've advocated at such a level in Western North Carolina that law enforcement, and we can thank people like Richie Tanner Hill for that, you know what I'm saying? Building those relationships with law enforcement that have allowed them to see us as, as individuals that matter, lives that matter, you know? So, um, we've advocated at such a level that they've come to the table with us. They come to the Western North Carolina Recovery Alliance Summit. So why can't we come to the table with them at like law enforcement summits and policy changing for law enforcement? So for me, and to me, whenever you go to battle, you study your enemy and not that law enforcement, I don't want them to be my enemy anymore, but I want to understand the ins and outs of what they struggle with. If I'm asking them to understand my struggles as, as someone suffering from substance use disorder, I have to be willing to understand their struggles. And so it's not about whether or not they'll listen, it's about whether or not we're willing to come to the table and advocate and fight for what we want. And the bottom line is, here I am, pick me. You know, like I'm going. I'm going to the table, I'm coming to the table. That's what I was meant for, that's what I was called to do. And like, let's get it. Like I'm pretty, you know, I'm just willing and open, and it takes people like that to be willing to come to the table. And there are many are, too, many folks mm -hmm. here in Western North Carolina that are willing to do that. Mm -hmm. But there is probably also some underlying fear of just cultivating those relationships mm -hmm. and essentially listening to what they need. We go in there, we want to tell them what we need. Yeah. But what I heard you say was we need to listen to what yeah. they need. And I need to understand when, when, when we ask for things as a recovery community and they there's kickback and there's pushback and there's resistance like when i go to school for criminal justice i begin to understand what their reasoning is behind that so then it's almost like an ace in the hole it's like 
oh, well, I understand that you all struggle with this, so what about this way? I get a better understanding of how to advocate. I become better at, at, at building the gap, you know, the bridge between law enforcement and the recovery community and legislation and policy, you know? We're having Wi-Fi issues again tonight. Oh, not good. Yeah, we need no bueno. No bueno. Uh, again, another reason why we need to get our own space so I can. <laughs> so, so keep I, supporting us. So I can pay a million dollars to get the highest broadband, or I need to move to Asheville. That's what I need to do. Or move to Asheville. Move That's to Asheville. absolutely what you need to do. Because <laughs> uh, you got you do so many amazing events, and I'm like, man, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And I'm like, you so could probably far find away. some community center yeah. to like. It's probably coming. We've talked to some folks, and we we did a couple of visits out there. It's something's happening for sure. Mm-hmm. Just got to figure out the logistics of mm-hmm. driving over the mountain three, two or three days a week. I want to see if I can get you into Asheville on the first weekend of April. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics of that okay. thing with the yeah. mm-hmm. with this music producer coming in. Oh um, yeah, we're doing that. For we'll be there. there. Yeah, full show. So Ginger, you came bringing gifts today. Hmm? You you came you came with gifts today. Oh yes, I did. You want to go ahead and uh, I'm going to flip the flip the camera and sh- they're right over your shoulder. But you want to talk oh, a little bit about yeah. your. We're about nowhere your, near the end, are we? Because no, I got so much to talk about. My uh, my good friend Kendall, she likes to pop in and take some photos for me for our Instagram That's and awesome. all the other places. She's amazing. She we is love amazing. her. You, and, you know, you always take the best photos. She does take when the best photos. When I see them online, I'm like, who took the picture? <laughs> That's Kendall. <laughs> The one and only. Y'all need a room to stay? You need a place to stay on the weekend? You want to visit the mountains? Pop into the Comfort Inn. Say hello to Kendall. She'll take good care Comfort of you. Comfort Inn and Suites. Comfort yep. Inn, Silva, North Carolina. And this is a really nice hotel. It's not what you would think of a It is a beautiful Inn. hotel. It's a really beautiful hotel. It is. Very nice. Living Proofwear. So, living Proofwear. That Thank you, is Kendall. my um, clothing line I have developed. It's just now coming off the, um, off the ground. It's, off the uh, runway. Yeah, off the runway. Um, I hope to we be. We should do some modeling. Shut the front. I've got models right here. You but see we Johnny? should do like we should like catwalk. Johnny Johnny? You know you can rock a catwalk. Oh yeah, in six inch heels. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> Don't let the big girl fool you. Part of my skill set is putting all this weight on that little bitty heel. <laughs> but I have lost thirty three pounds, Boom. just so you know. Boom. Hell yeah. So can't you tell? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking yeah. Yeah. we should strut Absolutely. a little. Now we got, who have we got? The, is the camera well, why working? Can't I, yeah, why yeah. can't I get in a uh, in an egg eaters video? Like for real. <laughs> we're gonna do. Oh, never mind. No, we're we're off subject. Save we're it for your own podcast. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. off subject. <laughs> we're I'm off just subject. I'm just I need to be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then let's see who. Because we used it was really cold, and so we did a podcast over like January and December in bed. So yeah, I'll yeah, have I to, know, I remember. I'll have to break that to cinnamon too. <laughs> <laughs> Negative Ghost Rider. So, um, so let's talk about Living Proofwear. So, it's a clothing line that I've developed to um, break the stigma. Um, I want individuals in recovery, um, you know, or just any kind of stigma um, wearing my clothing line. Um, and it's not, and I need you to know that I've put a lot of time and effort into this, and it's not about, it's not for profit. Um, it's for, because I want people to empower themselves, to understand that they are living proof that recovery is real, that, um, addiction can be overcome, that we, um, we, we do recover. Um, and, but it's not just, it's also living proof where for me means I'm living proof that 
God has restored all the devil stole a hundredfold. And so my um, shirts range from all kinds of different things. Um, uh, Joshua at Asheville Monogram is um, about to produce my Stigma Slayer shirt. I have a woman in Ohio who does a lot of my shirts, GC Graphics, um, for Living Proof Wear and a lot of the, um, the Jesus stuff the Christian stuff, and uh, which is all one for me, you know, I wouldn't have, um, I would not have sustained recovery without God, period. And um, so, uh, so one of them is, that's coming out is Stigma Slayer, and it's in the old D.A.R.E. logo, and the back of it says, be a part of the solution in the stigma. Um, my uh, summer shirt will be in the lifeguard style, yeah. And it'll be tank tops and um, T-shirts, and it'll look kind of like the lifeguard logo, and it's going to say community life preserver. Dang. And the back of it's going to say, have you saved a life today? Um, I have another one that's coming out, like one plus one equals two. So the front of it will say only Jesus, and the back of it will say one life, one purpose to the cross. I come up with these things all the time. Um, it so was truly a gift. What? So she, uh, she like... What, what inspired you to start this? Ah, Stephen, you've been there since day one of this. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so um, I sit in these conferences and trainings all the time. Um, knowledge is power. I'm always, like, doing everything I can to continue to educate myself. And um, the last time I was in a training, I was in, like, a HIV, um, hep C uh, counseling training for when you give someone a positive diagnosis. And... Um, I just started writing all these things. I get all these logos and things, and I just this stuff just comes to me. It drops in my spirit all the time. And, um, and I'm sitting there, and I leave the conference, and I'm like, you know, I should really do something with this. Like, I have all the, and I'm talking about, like, I have this little notebook, and it's got, like, like, over here I'll have something, and it'll be squared off, and then I'll write something over here, and it's like puzzle pieces. And they're all on, and then I'll just go to another page and go to another page. Like, Stephen's seen it. It's crazy. We probably went through, what, like, 50 lo- slogans? Yeah, so she, like, calls me up one day, coming back from one of these conferences, and she's like, I'm going to start this clothing line. I don't know, really know where to start. You want to just like sit down and talk about it, and so we went over to a little coffee shop, and I don't know how many hours were that we were there for, but she showed up with like just this notebook that she describes, and it's just like jam packed with all these little sayings and slogans, and um, she's like, "All right," so we spent like two hours like picking, identifying the key ones, and discussing. There goes your phone, Ginger. It's ringing. Oh, that's Jesus. why somebody's calling. Uh, All right, so keep going. Discussing in depth, like, well, you know, uh, where did it come from? What does it yeah. mean? How could it be perceived? And I think she like narrowed it down to the select uh, four or five. So she's got select designs. Select the designs. The neighborhood hope dealer, which Johnny Kennedy and myself are both repping right now, yeah. as well as. Um, this girl's gonna change the world. This girl's gonna change yeah, the world. Hashtag, hashtag living proof wear. Hashtag Johnny P. Kennedy. Now you're shaking the hell out of my camera. Oh my God, is it good now? It's shaking big time. Come on. The Wi Fi is terrible, anyways. You're not streaming. It's bogging down like crazy unless you're just recording it separately. Mm-hmm. It's rough. So. Um, no, it's just, it's terrible. The last like three weeks, it just drops it, drops the live stream, starts it again, drops it, starts it again. It's just, 
even that doesn't work. Caleb's tried his many times. There's no, there's not a good phone signal here at this location. The struggles of living in rural Western North Carolina. Right? Oh, my camera killed me. The struggles of living in rural North Carolina. But it gives you grit. It gives you grit. That's it does. It, it, it teaches you how to roll with the punches. Yeah. And really, like, <clears throat> I feel like I'm living like five years in the past because I don't really understand what's out there in the real world. <laughs> Wait till you right? move to West, West Asheville and this, everything will be soft and like fluffy and easy and Wi-Fi will be super fast. Yeah, that's crazy. Best, I go home to visit my folks in Tampa, Florida, oh, and it's yeah. just like... Everything's fast and now this shiny. this this five G things coming out real soon and it's just, it's just crazy. But I'm like so used to it. I mean, when I first moved here, I couldn't even um, do my homework where I live. I had to spend all my time in the public library mm-hmm. because it, uh, Wi-Fi internet just wasn't available. Um, so, but then like we get like used to it, and then my Wi-Fi goes out like it always does, and the freezing cold frozen rain storms that we've been having over the last couple of weeks and i'm just like it's the last gasp of winter and then we'll start seeing spring yeah it's this week man this yeah. week um so while she's doing what she's doing how about uh these oral histories that you're collecting you said you've collected about 40 something i'm uh, i'm on uh 36 collected and recorded and then we have around Ginger's helping me out with this. Steven's helping. Everyone's helping me out with this. But I have around like 24 people on the bubble. Like I have one on Tuesday evening, one on Wednesday at 10 a.m. So I, I'm knocking out. It's usually like I knock out like two or three a week nowadays. And then if there's a recovery place who's excited or interested in it, maybe they'll set up a day and just offer it. To okay. the people there who, if you want to come in and talk to me for half an hour. An so hour 100, 100 oral histories is 100 plus hours. Oh, yeah. Because each one, I was in there for like an hour and a half just rambling. Yeah, about, Ginger about was two hours. You know, not only, the Ginger has got two world records. One, <laughs> one, she has the most viewed podcast on anti-raw. In the history of the free living world. And number two, she is the longest <laughs> oral history of the Tell collection. them how many words it is. It was, my, we, we transcribed You it. type the transcript? You yeah, do yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, my wife, oh I did some and my wife did most of it. 17,000 words. Oh it's like, gosh. it's like a quarter of a novel, a yeah. good sized novel. It's like an extended short yeah. story novella, 17,000 words. You don't understand how many like words you speak until you actually transcribe something like that. But so, I'm going to chop it all yeah, up. It'll be fine. There was like a, there was like a treatment center, um, last year and they were offering a scholarship to a student that's in recovery. And it was like an essay contest. Mm-hmm. It was right when they did the um, right right after we started the podcast. So I entered a submission into this scholarship, uh, except for I recorded a podcast. I was yeah. like, "Well, I'm going to try to do something different." You know, yeah. it's, even though it's an essay, I'm going to try to do something different, and I'm just going to record like a 10, 15 minute podcast. Like, who am I? What are my goals? What do I want to do with this thing? And you know, where are we? Where am I taking it? But then I'm going to transcribe it because, like, so I can at least say I submitted a essay as well Mm -hmm. and it was like i think i don't i can't remember the number i think it was like they wanted like short like 1500 words or something like that i started typing this 
freaking thing out. <laughs> and like before I know it, I'm at like 4,000 oh, words yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, I don't even qualify. So yep. I'd send it to him. And of course I never heard from him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was disqualified. I'm sure for, for all that living proof where. So since we're talking about living proof where really quick. So, um, I have a Facebook page living proof where, so anyway, we, I can't, I had all these ideas. We sat down, we chose some, we created a Facebook page, um, through my page and, um, then, uh, but what made me create the Facebook page is after I talked to him, I went home and I was like, well, surely that there's no domain. Like, let me Google this. And, um, living proof where was like available on the Google domain. And I was like, no way. So I was like, well, let me check the, surely there's no Gmail for that. So living proof where at gmail.com is available. And I'm like, what? So I was like, surely it's not on Facebook. And I Googled it and it was on Facebook. And so I was like, O M G. Like if it's on Facebook, then, um, uh, the confirmation comes in threes for me. You know, that's what I believe in scripturally based in the word is. And so um, I was like, well, there it is. I need to do this. So Stephen's connected me to someone else who like helps build small businesses, who's like on the path of like making me get it all legal and right. And um, and like it's happening. Like when I put the when I posted those up today, um, that they came in, people just started blowing me up. You know, people have already paid on Facebook. You can pay on Facebook. You can pay through Square Cash App. I can PayPal you a bill and uh, ship it to you. I don't charge um, shipping. Um, so we're going to do, uh, we may do a couple of hoodies um, before the season's out, but um, soon I'll start to move the T-shirts. Um, they're a little pricey in long sleeve and hoodies because people don't understand that they're very expensive when you get to long sleeve and hoodies. Like t-shirts are really cheap, but long sleeves and hoodies get really pricey really quick. And it feels like it's high quality. It's not like the cheap screen print shirts that you no. you'll find at like the you know dollar bin store or whatever. Yeah. These are nice, comfortable yeah. long yeah. sleeve shirts. I'm currently wearing one. That yeah, says and then like the women's you. shirt is a woman's cut. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's not just a it's not just a long sleeve shirt like men would wear. So the women have like something that's more feminine, that's more um, so you know something I would want to wear. So that's kind of how I went with it. Yeah, you can those see are the, the women's you can shirts see the cuts right me. over your shoulder if anybody. Yeah, so both in. of those are women's shirts behind me and then the men's shirts are the ones that Stephen and them are wearing and they're just you know basic Stephen long sleeve and shirts and him uh, Stephen and him are this wearing man, no, this man this man to my left Johnny Kennedy Stephen and him are wearing thanks Ginger <sighs> shut the front door I'm just here to support you Ginger I know I'm so grateful <laughs> he said he was going to be on his best behavior I've been so far so good I know because we haven't really gotten to the nitty gritty shall we let's do the nitty about. and the gritty if you'd like to buy a t-shirt, contact Ginger through the Facebook page, Living Proofwear. Or Ginger Living Proofwear. Or Ginger Living Proofwear. But my friend list is very limited. You have a limit of 5,000 friends, so you might as well go and like my page. Like the page. <laughs> like the page, grab a shirt. I think she has pictures of them all on there. If you like and share them, we give you a discount. How you about know, that? If you tag it on Instagram, social media, um, and we're going to ship it out to you for free. So that's a really Free shipping. Deal. Yep. Dope. That's yeah. best price. So what's been going on in your life, Ginger? Um, Anything? Everything. Everything. So um, today is Monday. 
Wednesday will be seven years of sustained long-term recovery. For Damn me. right. Yes, ma'am. How about years. that? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a long time. How about that? Um, and uh, one of the reasons why, like, I know if anyone read the promo um, that I wanted to come on here today, um, this time in my anniversary is, um, yesterday was my belly button birthday, so that was my... Um, my uh, real life birthday. I got to spend with my daughters this weekend, and then my clean date is March 6th. And um, so I've accomplished a tremendous amount of things in my recovery. Like my first uh, podcast was all about, you know, the trauma that brought me into addiction, the early childhood trauma I went through, and the things that I experienced. And um, and the way that I came out of the addiction and how God had been so good to me and shown up and um, brought me through some really um, amazing things and, you know, restored relationships and family members and, and careers and employability and, and, um, and, uh, and all the things that I had gained in recovery. And um, since I was, had about two and a half years clean, I not only had a child, I had not only had a child early in recovery, but... Um, I became a, a certified alcohol and drug counselor in Georgia, internationally certified alcohol and drug counselor worldwide, um, a certified addiction recovery empowerment specialist with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. Um, then I moved to North Carolina and became, uh, a, you know, got my CSAC, which is a certified substance abuse counselor, um, and with the North Carolina substance abuse board and then I became a North Carolina peer support specialist and a qualified professional and so um, those are amazing like that's you know 20 something letters behind my name unbelievable um, but I wanted to break some of the myths of uh, recovery those are all amazing amazing phenomenal things that happen to us when we get clean you know we keep continuing to do the next right thing and the next right thing keeps happening for us like doors are opened um, that no man can can shut, and doors are shut, you know that uh, that no man can open. And um, I'm getting so nervous right now. I never do this. I'm always like, woo, because I'm always like in happy bubbly mode. But um, so the last year of my recovery has probably been um, the most dangerous year I've had in um, recovery, the scariest year I've had, and one of the most painfulest years I've had since I got clean. And, um, and so I wanted to be transparent. Um, I wanted to speak to people that, um, that struggle with life on life's terms and don't realize that, that like we all do, like with seven years clean, with 17 years clean, with seven years clean, like life still shows up and how do we deal with those things when they happen and I think um, one of the myths of recovery is like you know we start to get our life back especially after that first year you know a lot of times they say the first year is a gift now the work starts and um, heavy lifting mm -hmm. and so we get our we get our life back and like you know, we get some, we get, we get some employability. We get a job. We get stability. Um, if we've got DSS cases or, um, um, you know, uh, breakdowns in our family, you know, pretty much after that first year, those things you begin to re truly, honestly, 
regain those things, those relationships with your family. You, you're showing up for holidays. You're, you're present in your children's life. Um, and, and those are beautiful, beautiful gifts that we got. But I think that it's like a picture. Like we, we've got our kids back. We've got a stable place to live. We've got a job. And we think that um, it's supposed to be picture perfect. You know, like um, it's supposed to be like a drawing on the wall and, and you're supposed to have all the pieces of the puzzle and that means um, healthy relationship with, um, with either your spouse that you were with during the time that you got clean, if the two of you got clean together, or um, that you should, you know, like for women, you get the kids, you get the house, you get the stability, you get the independence. Now I need a man. Now I need a husband. Now I need a, um, a partner. I need, um, that's, that's what completes the picture. You know, to say that I have arrived, that I'm in recovery, that I'm clean, that I've got everything, the picture-perfect relationship, the picture-perfect life um, is what I think we expect when we get clean. And um, so I've gone through, um, when I first got clean, my picker was broke. For a long time, like so many of us is, of us are, you know, um, we pick the wrong people, we put wrong people in our lives, and um, so I really struggled with relationships for a long time. And I had been divorced for 12 years, and um, in the last two years, I met what uh, would become my husband. And um, in the last year of my life, and probably possibly the entire time. I've been married, um, he's been a chronic relapser. And the last year has been really, really, really bad. And, um, and really hard for me. Um, it's only by the grace of God, you know, but there go I, that I didn't pick up in the midst of all of his using and his relapsing. But, um, like, I've not been my normal self. The last year of um, my recovery, I've been the closest I've ever been in over 20 years um, to suicide, to um, just giving it all up, not wanting to do anything, feeling like I was a fake and a fraud. Uh, it's very difficult when... So I work in the recovery community. I help people all the time who are so grateful, you know, for the opportunity for treatment, for the opportunity for recovery, for the work that I do. I always go the extra mile, and it's like, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. Thank you so much for all you've done, and, and I go to work every day with people saying that, and I come home every night knowing that I spend all, I, I give all I have of my gifts to people outside of my home, and I can't even keep my house straight. I can't even keep my own home in order. You know, I can't even help um, my husband. And, um, and so there's been a lot of revelation and a lot of um, surrender in this last year, you know. And um, I've uh, made a lot of posts on Facebook that were emotional and, um, you know, admitting um, where I was at you know, that I felt like I would be going through a divorce soon, that, um, um, that I would go back to my maiden name, that, um, 
this is what it looks like when someone you love is in addiction and you can't help them. And so that's not the person that everyone knows me to be. That's not the person I was called to be. That's not my normal self. I've missed um, event after event after event, um, not shown up. And that's not me. Like, that's what I do. I show up. I'm a part of the party. Like, I'm, you know, I, I got to be there. I need to show my presence. I need to be involved. I need to be engaged. And um, so I knew when all of this really hit home for me, I called Stephen and I was like, Stephen, I, you know, I need to come on the podcast and I need to get transparent about what's going on in my life and what that looks like and how the last year has been not just so people understand what's happened um, to me, but that they understand that it can happen to all of us and how we deal with that and um, what makes us, you know, find that place where we continue to fight, you know, and just the darkness that it's taken me to, but the place that I'm in to grow, you know. Um, so ask me something, say something, I don't know. Well, I think that um, takes a lot of courage for you to kind of come on and share these difficult and challenging parts of your life um, with myself and Johnny. And I do want to kind of lay a foundation on the direction of this conversation that we're kind of going to have in that um, it's important that we talk about your perspective and what it's been like for you. I don't want anybody to get the impression that we're um, here to point the finger at somebody else oh, and place blame on somebody mm -hmm. else for their behavior and really be open to the understanding that, like you mentioned, this, this type of feelings that you've had for the last few months and the kind of like conflict that you've been faced with um, can and will happen to all of us and like you talked about at the beginning of um you talked about the picture right the family the kids back and you know if you're being real and like really living um life on life's terms like i don't know that there is a picture right like i think that it takes a lot of work to get to a point in your life and it's not something that will ever end, but where you can really like, I think you said at the beginning talking about, um, Caleb, you said we've had a lot of good things and a lot of cha challenges overcome. And so how do you, the, my program and the work that we do like internally through this, um, internal reflection and kind of like investigation of the way my mind works is that how do I, how do I have the same relationship to those challenges that I do to the joys, right? How do I train my mind? Like my mind is conditioned to crave more of these pleasurable experiences and run the fuck away from the negative shit, right? But when I can actually like have a mutual kind of middle path and a non-attached appreciation, non-attached, not, I don't have to have it, but when I can have that same type of relationship to either experience, right? Um, you know, 
what is the worst possible scenario for me? Like, there's no, you know, like what, how can I relate to that situation? I, unlike Bianca, on the first date that we had, I sat down at a Waffle House diner because I skipped school. I was like, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. I skipped class like the old good old days old behavior old behavior i sat down and i said you know what i said no matter what happens in this relationship no matter where this thing goes i'm gonna tell you two things that are gonna happen the first thing is my actions will not cause anybody any harm meaning like if it works out it works out if it doesn't work out it i'm okay with that and we are still gonna be friends and we're because we have Mm -hmm. mutual ties in the recovery world and mutual friends and things like that it's not going to disrupt our normal everyday functioning that's number one number two eventually it's going to end right this relationship will be over at some point it could be on my deathbed or it could be next week right (laughs) but i want you to be very understanding and i want to be very clear with you that i know that that is going to happen right i accept that and when it does that's that is the way that it that it's going to be and you know what i've learned the hard way long enough right mm-hmm. i've done i've clinged on to all of those pleasurable experiences for so long for you. that it it crashed and burned but like it's there will come a time that we part ways it could be putting me in the grave just because I'm like 12 years older than her. But it, could be, it could be putting me now in the grave know. and happily, happily ever, happily ever after eventually ends. Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. it's it's the way it is. But we had that conversation from day one. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that by doing that, it kind of like allows us to understand that so that when like things get weird, you've already laid the course. Yeah. Hard for when the things get weird, we've already I'm like, hey, that's not really how we both agreed to handle things, whether it's me or her, you know, that's amazing. Cause what a wonderful foundation you built to start that thing on. Yeah. And so like the last few months, you've been like faced with these challenges, right? A lot of things changing, a lot of discomfort leading to probably some depression. You mentioned thoughts of suicide, things like that. And for me, it's important to like understand that like it's okay to feel that way, right? It's okay to be depressed as fuck. It happens to all of us. Like last spring break, spring break's next week. Mm-hmm. Last spring break, I took the entire week off from work and I didn't get out of bed just because I needed to do that. You know, mm-hmm. like it's okay to be depressed, but it's not okay to just like stay fester in that mm-hmm. and like that be your coping mechanism. What have you done? What kind of action are you taking? How are you relating to this, these circumstances? We hear like what in the rooms and all this living life on life's terms, mm-hmm. but what does that r- authentically mean? Yeah. What does it look like? So that's, um, so like when you first said, which you said we didn't come here to bash anything. So that, so that's when we talk about getting transparent, I want to get totally transparent. Um, like I didn't come here to say that, um, my husband is a horrible person and he's an addict and a junkie. Like I didn't come yes. here to say any of that stuff. Um, 
and first and foremost, um, cause he's an amazing person. Yes. And like my ex-husband, um, that I was married to for years who, where my addiction started, um, we, I will, will always, we have a wonderful relationship today. I'm so blessed for that relationship that we have. We get along very well. He's a mate. He's a good father. He's a good guy. Um, but like he never got totally clean till like a year ago. Like he'd always been on something since the age of 14. And, um, and he could never understand, like, I am called to be a mighty woman of God. I am called to be a powerhouse for God, for recovery, for, for like an ab for advocacy. Like I am called to that. Like it's evident. Like I'm in beast mode all the time. Like I'm, I come in with the door, like I have a presence and there's a reason that God gifted me with that boldness and that ability was to make a difference in this world. Like I have a gift inside of me that's supposed to be, you know, that's here to help mankind and humanity. And like, there's no no denying it. You know, the greatest compliment I ever get is your passion, your passion, your passion. And when you're called, like when you're called by God, when you're caught that passion, everyone says, when do you sleep? Like when you, and I'm like, dude, I sleep, <laughs> I do sleep. <laughs> and, um, they're like, but when, when do you sleep? And I'm like, dude, passion and a calling on your life from God will give you supernatural energy. Like I have supernatural ability to juggle and handle all kinds of things and all kinds of stress and other people's problems and all this stuff. You know, um, I have a gift and that's the gift that I have. And, um, and so it's, it's amazing to be used like that, but at the same time, um, I kind of lost my train of thought when I was talking about that, but anyway, um, you were talking, uh, so I, I want to clean up my side of the street. Like I have to take responsibility for my part in this. And, um, and I didn't, like I said, my ex-husband with all that passion that I have never supported that. Like I would get in trouble for being in church too much or being, you know, if anything was focused outside of him, then I was, then it was wrong. You know what I'm saying? And family does come first. And I understand that more now than I ever did. But Jake is my biggest cheerleader you know, my strongest advocate, like when we go to things and I speak, you know, he's recording me, he's plastering me on Facebook, he speaks highly of me, like he's an amazing person, but it's just where he is right now, and, um, and I hate when people say, well, they're just not ready, or the consequences aren't great enough, or, you know, because that's a judgment in itself of who we are in addiction, and, um, so I didn't come here to say he's a horrible person and he ruined my life and all that kind of stuff. I came here to be transparent on my part of yeah. it. And my part of it is this. First and foremost, um, I have worked a program since I became pregnant with my daughter early in recovery. And, you know, I started with Narcotics Anonymous. The stronger I grew in a spiritual awakening with God and building a relationship with him, the more God, I know that God keeps me here. NA brought me back in communion with God, but God is what keeps me here. And it's like we turned our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. Like it was all, you know, we prayed only for the knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. Like I got in self-will when I got married. And I know that because the worst thing, the greatest gift I probably have from God is the gift of mercy. You know, I have a, um, I have a passion for people and, and the gift of, of mercy is to, you know, to forgive people even when they don't deserve to be forgiven. 
is to help people even when people think they don't deserve to be helped. Is um, I have such a passion for people. Their lives, their, their lives matter to me. Their heart, you know, healing them, helping them, serving them. And um, the ones that nobody thinks deserves it. And um, so because of that gift, like we tend, people that have a gift like that tend to give it away to people who aren't gifted. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you spend all your time putting into people what they don't understand, forgiving people, uh, giving passion to people, giving, you know, fighting more for people than they fight for themselves. And we've all learned, you go to school to be a substance abuse counselor. We all learn that when we fight for someone's recovery harder than they fight for it, we really need to check ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it's hard to it's watch very people hard. fail. It's very hard. And so um, I saw the red flags before um, I made a decision to get married to him. And I thought that I was putting it in God's will because I um, wanted to wait and, and um, do it the right way and do it, you know, the way the word says and try to be obedient and all that stuff. And so we did get married quickly. And I thought that I was saving him. I was moving him out of Georgia. I was moving him to North Carolina. He was going to work a program like I worked, like he was going to go to meetings like I did. He was going to get God like I did. Like he was, I had a whole lot of unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. And I had this pride and this ego that thought that I was God, like I could fix him. But also at the same time, you can't be like looking back on that experience and say like, oh, well, I shouldn't have done this or what if that in the mm-hmm. fact that like you made a decision to do something. Assessing your current situation, you made the best decision for yourself and your family at that time, regardless of what happened later on. Like I just told mm-hmm. you about the first date with Bianca, like what was the what was the best? What was the best thing for you two at that time? probably to do what you did you know here we are today things are different than you expected it to be right but does that mean that you made the wrong decision or does that mean that um the relationship is over does what does that mean like right all it means is that the circumstance has changed right how do we come to a place where how can how do we get to a place where genuinely in your heart you can accept that right first I had to accept for me was um so like he worked out of town he was gone all the time there was a lot of things I didn't know that were going on that were going on and then um there was a a time where um then the behavior became erratic and and I still was so naive like didn't see it for all it was worth went into a fast at the first of the year and God revealed a lot of things to me confronted him with it and he came clean about a lot of stuff and he's in a sober living environment now like he's trying to do the next right thing it's not always um what i think his recovery should look like but our literature says that there's no role model for recovery and that um and the scripture says to work your salvation out with fear and trembling (laughs) and our literature says that uh 
you know, so that recovery is an individual process. So like when I look at all those pieces together, like I can't judge what that looks like for him. What I know is this, that I reached a point and this is where I get transparent and take responsibility for my stuff. So where he reached out and kind of wanted some help and said that, and I was like, well, you can't do it this way or you can't do it that way because you can't work. And so that affects the financial stability of our household. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I'm like, and then the revelation comes where, because, you know, when stuff like that happens, it doesn't sit well with us when we know we're in the wrong. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm killing him. Like, I'm sitting here telling him that I want him, that I don't have anything else left to give you because this is breaking me down. This is killing me. I'm so depressed. I'm not the person I used to be. I don't have any joy. I don't have any satisfaction because you're using and, and, and I, I'm living in the consequences of your using and your insanity, but yet you can't get help unless it's on my terms. Like, I'm killing, like, like I'm killing him. And here I am helping all these people and I'm part of the problem with why he's still in the mess he's in. Because, because now I'm using people, places, and playgrounds. I'm using him to get my needs met inside my household. Like, wow. Like, whoa. So at what point in this process did you recognize that? And then what, like, what action did you take? I mean, it happened a couple of months ago and I was like dude I can't keep so I struggled I mean, with meaning it. that recognize that in yourself yeah in myself that mm -hmm. like I was killing him like that mm -hmm. was I wasn't allowing him to get what he's telling me he needs because it wasn't meeting my needs and now I've gotten so caught up in that situation that I'm using people places and things like I'm clean I'm not using a substance but I'm still in active addiction because I'm using people places and things you know, our relapse starts spiritually in nature, and I'm not trusting God. I'm trying to fix, manage, and control him, and I'm not trusting God to do what, what I know he did for me. Like, who do I think I am? That was a huge revelation for me, and I go to therapy. You know, um, I engage in, um, you know, I have a therapist. I have a support mechanism. Like, I still have a sponsor. Like, I, I have all these things in place. And, and I realized that I had compromised my own integrity. You know what I'm saying? And, and like being, I didn't want to be with someone in active addiction, and that was a deal breaker for me. And when we are in the rooms of NA or A or, or anything, it's like you guard your recovery with your life, even if it means cutting people off. And as a sponsor, or as a counselor, like I would tell people that. But then go home and... But then go home and not be able to let go of that relationship, and not just for financial reasons. Like... Um, and here's the full circle. This was the moment of, of total revelation, besides the fact that I realized I was killing him. Once I realized that, like, I've been the person in addiction. Stephen, you've been the person in addiction. Damn straight. That, that experienced tough love. Like when your family cut you off or someone, you know, cut you off or there was experiences where people stopped engaging with you because of the choices that you were making. Smash the brakes. Yeah. Yes. And so I've been on the receiving end of that and how much it hurt. And, and like I was at a point in my addiction where um, I couldn't even feed my children. Like I was still using, I was still selling, but I couldn't feed my children. Like I was still in groceries to 
to make sure my kids ate and like wasn't working and couldn't pay my bills and my family like wouldn't even answer the phone anymore, you know? And, um, so you, and that pain where that felt, what that felt like. Right. But I had never been the one who had to give the tough love. And so the full circle moment for me was when I realized like what it must have been like for my aunt and uncle what it must have been like for my family to cut me off because I was having to cut my husband off. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop loving him. I didn't want to stop making sure he was okay. I didn't want to stop making sure he had a safe place to sleep at night. I didn't want to stop making sure that he, was, he wasn't doing something that was going to make him lose his job go to jail, get a ticket, have an accident, you know, catch a charge, like die. And that broke me. Like I was in my car squalling and like I had to call my aunt and be like, I can't imagine what this felt like for you because you didn't, she said no. And I didn't want to stop, you know, that fear. And we have that fear where we think that if I stop doing this, they're going to die. They're going to go to jail. They're going to be incarcerated. They're going to have a wreck. They're going to, you know what I'm saying? That's a horrible place to be trapped in. And it is so hard to let go and draw that line in the sand, you know, and say, and, and I never realized that. Like, could you imagine, Stephen? Like, when you hear me say that, could you imagine what it must feel like, what it must have felt like for your family? I can because I've been there with other family members. Even myself, prior to myself finding recovery, I've had to kind of stand that ground with other family members. And relationships are tough, you know. I was single for the first four years of my recovery. Because I, I thought a lot about, like, this scenarios. And I, I would have conversations with, like, my mentors and um, people in my fellowship. And I would always get come back to, like, do I date somebody in recovery mm. who is familiar with the experience and has a foundation, a strong foundation, with their recovery and understanding of what it is. However, we're both always at risk, Mm -hmm. always on high alert of like what could potentially happen to either myself or her, or do I date someone that's not in recovery and risk them not understanding the process and understanding the things that I must do to support myself on a daily basis. So I just threw my hands in there and said, all right, I'm out for a little bit. I'll be back and I'll see y'all in a couple of years when I'm kind of like grounded, you know, but it's like, I don't know what the answer is. I never wanted to date anyone in recovery. I know. Yeah. Never. Uh, yeah. Because I didn't want to deal with the, like, there's so many times where you feel like you're fighting both of your diseases. I can't fight his disease. I can't fight his disorder. I can't fight his insanity. I can only fight my own. You know, I do. But what I know to be true is like, so in this place of setting boundaries, and that's the hardest thing, even early in recovery, the hardest thing I have ever done. So this last year and this situation has been the hardest thing I've ever 
experienced um, in my recovery. But one of the harder things for me to do when after I got clean, and it took me years before I could even begin to do it, was to set boundaries, you know, was to say, because when we set boundaries, we say, I'm enough. I'm yeah. good enough. I deserve this or I don't deserve this. And our guilt and shame is so wrapped in our identity that it's so hard for us to stand up for ourselves. Like it was so hard for me to stand up for myself. And then that gift of mercy and that gift of compassion and empathy wants me to understand. And you're trapped in this place of, um, I can't do this. I can't harm myself. I can't take the risk of using. I can't live with someone in active addiction. I can't keep living in this insanity. And at the same time, but I've been there. But I know what that's like. How can I leave them in this place when I know what they're suffering with? How can I, you know, shun them? And I have, like, the bitterness from the pain. I have attacked him verbally in ways I would never speak to someone outside of my house. Mm -hmm. You know, I have gotten bitter to the point of you're never going to change. You're not done. Things I would never say to someone who wasn't in my household. But it's totally different when it's someone you love, you know? And you want what's best for them, and you feel like you want it more than they do. And so when you ask me, how do I sit in that, and how do I come through that? Like, we always say we have to let go and let God. And, like, that's what I wouldn't do. Like, I would not let go. I kept trying to fix, manage, and control it like we do so much in our life and our addiction in all different areas of our life. And it's like I've had to let go and trust that either remove him or repair him or restore him or whatever's right but I have a purpose and a reason and a destiny and I have to get I have to stay on that path I have to continue to grow in that pain I can't stay stuck in that depression like you said and the revelation that there's something inside of me that wants to live more than I want to die you know, and when I begin to die spiritually, I get in that place of depression. I get in that place where his behavior controls my emotions. You know it's there, right? You just uh, momentarily are blinded by the emotions, blinded by the depression, or blinded by the um, the energy that's mm-hmm. taking place. You take a moment, take a couple breaths, do whatever prayer coping skill that you have get a little bit of clarity to the situation you'll learn how to you'll identify how to what is the most appropriate way to respond Hmm. you know mission boundaries right something that gets thrown around in this recovery world all the time it's one of those things there's a couple couple things that you hear in this world that we live in of recovery but it's one of those things where everybody's really good about talking about, hey, you need Put them to, in place or something totally They're always different. good. Hey, they'll tell you how to do it. Hey, you need, a, you need some boundaries in your life, Johnny Kennedy. Cinnamon's writing all the notes for your podcast, and, <laughs> you know, you, you really need to take some, take some control of your life. Okay, Johnny Kennedy? But when the ball's in my court, whoo! I want nothing you, to do with it. And, you know, everyone would say to me what I would say to them. Ginger, you can't. He's not done. He's not ready. He's not. He, the consequence hadn't got great enough. You can't you can't be with him. You can't live with him. You got to guard to protect your recovery with your life. You got to let him go. You got to this. You got to that. Do you know how hard that is to do? 
I do. Um, but you got. But if you let go and let God, and you see, the strength and the courage does not come in how you face the adversity, or how you face the pain, or how you face the struggle. The strength and the courage comes in how you surrender to it. I can relate. Surrender, when, lean into it. Really, when we like surrender to, you know, the situation, then we are no longer in control. You know what I'm saying? We we are allowing something else to be to. You know, we're saying I can't do this on my own, and we all know that we surrender to win. Like, we don't surrender to lose. And so everyone wants to say, oh, you have such strength and courage to come in here and talk about where you're at and to do what you do and blah, blah, blah. blah. No, it's that I've surrendered to the fact that I cannot fix him. I cannot save him. I cannot change him. I cannot, and I have to let go and trust God. Trust a power greater than myself. Like, I have to trust God to do what's right, and either he'll you know, remove him and take him in a different direction or he'll restore him or he'll fix that relationship. But what I know to be true is like I said, I have a destiny. I have a path. I have to stay on that path. I have to keep moving forward. And um, like, even though I've been in that place of deep, deep depression in the bed for days and suicidality, it's not that I wanted to die and leave this world and leave my children. My God, no, never. It's that I have nothing left to give. Like I, I'm so emptied out. Why do you expect that? Why do you put that type of pressure on yourself that you owe anybody anything? What, what, who do you have to give anything to besides yourself? Maybe your Lord and savior, who else do you owe it to? Yeah. You're a mother and you have responsibilities, but I think though there's like, there's a, a power. Like if, if you can see that you're working where you should be working and you're having the effects you should be having, then there's like, it, it, it's, it's hard not to keep on going down that path and to be like, I'm, I'm someone like Ginger Malcolm who can go into courthouses, who can go into recovery centers and I can go up and talk to a judge and convince him or her to give this individual another chance to give them a chance in recovery. That's really powerful. They're very, 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 very few people in this world who can do that. And then to be in that space and to understand that's the space you should be in. That's our, that's, it's hard to, it's hard to remove yourself from that. That's that series of giving. But I mean, being an old Catholic altar boy, you know, I also know that Jesus had to remove himself at times mm-hmm. after, you know, he talked to the masses or he created miracles. He also had to find space to remove himself and, and take himself away from those, those scenes and find those, those moments of quiet and solitude. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, the way, that's the way he performed his miracles and, and lived mm-hmm. his life to the fullest. Yeah. And, like, and that's so true for me. Like, uh, so like after one of the biggest miracles that Jesus ever performed, he went into the wilderness for 40 days. You know, he fasted and he prayed because he was, he knew what was coming. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I know, this is what I know to be true. Like I know, I texted you the other day and I said, I feel myself, I'm coming out 
of the, I'm coming out on the other side, like I'm finally coming out, and I've been in this place for months. Donna, you know, I've been in this dark place for months, and, um, and I went into a fast at the beginning of the year, and I, and I prayed, and, I, and, and I'm going to tell you, like, I went into three days of uh, total liquids, um, seven or 11 days of a Daniel fast, which is only fruits and vegetables after 6 p.m. at night, total water all day, and then I spent the last seven days in a total liquid fast. Like, you talk about sacrifice, like, in a place of, you know, and then, and then I get attacked, and then all this stuff happens, and then I'm in, you know what I'm saying? And then, so that's always, like, how it is. Like, you have the revelation, you have the victory, and then you have the attack. You know, and it's like how you go through the, um, what you, how you make it through these dark places in the valleys is, is what you'll use on the other side in the victories, you know, to have the victory. And it's like, um, I know that every time in my recovery, every single time that it has been the darkest moments, lost jobs, uh, you know, thought I was going to face some more consequences legally, like all of those moments in my recovery have always been five minutes before the miracle. So I know that even in this place, I'm five minutes before the miracle, you know, and um, like all this stuff with Johnny that's happening and and the open society. And like I told Johnny six months ago, I was like, this is going to go nationwide. And he's like, oh, I don't know. blah 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 blah. I don't know. I don't know. I know it'll go across Western North Carolina. But then then his contributor, then he called me after Christmas and he was like, uh, so my sponsor for this grant was like, she wants this to go nationwide. And I was like, oh, so like I told you, you know? <laughs> and um, so like there's huge things coming. And um, yeah, there's a big stream of yeah. stream of and energy. Like, and like, here's the thing, like, um, and this might be far-fetched. You all might not understand this, but um, so we can birth impatience like when we get impatient and we want to fix manage and control and fix stuff impatience can birth the the adversity the problem that keeps us from our promise mm-hmm. you know like <clears throat> like um and like i said we were going to go to church so let's go to church for just a minute hold on, hold on hold on i hate to do this to you never done this before but i gotta go i'm gonna run to the restroom real quick Go ahead. Just go ahead. Y'all got this. Johnny Kennedy. Keep talking. I'll be right back. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. (laughs) I've never done this before. (laughs) He don't want to hear. He don't. Look, the devil's trying to get you out of here so you won't hear the word. He doesn't want to go to church. (laughs) He doesn't want to go to church. So, um. Let's just, you wait till he comes in. I'm going to say something nice about Stephen while he's not here. Okay. Awesome. And that is like, he, for me, is a wise man. Like when I met Stephen for the first so time insight. and I talked to him and I listened to his story and he was talking about meditation. I was asking about meditation and how to do it because I needed to calm down my brain. And that was when I had that vision. Like when you say a vision, it's not like you see something like it's three dimensional, but you have an understanding in your head of a visual that is so clear. So I saw Stephen and then I had this visual that I'd spent my life fighting against the stream, like going upstream. That's what you told me I told you being a dickhead, being just a prick and being like, fuck, fuck, fuck the system, fuck everything, I'm going the opposite direction. And then after I hung out with Steven, I had this vision of just laying down the stream 
and going with the flow mm-hmm. and not fighting anymore. He's so that way. And so, like, for, I know he's in the bathroom, and it, he, probably, he probably doesn't even listen to his own podcast. No. So he'll never know this huge compliment I'm giving him. He does listen to his own <laughs> podcast. He edits them all. <laughs> this is, this is, he's just a really insightful and really wise, like, old soul. And yeah, then, he is an old soul. And um, what I love is um, Stephen is very, very, very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an amazing person and Bianca Darden, you have caught an amazing catch and an amazing person. That's his girlfriend. <laughs> and, um, and I hope that it is a, um, long-term thing for you too. And I think that you're both amazing for each other. And I'm so glad he's finally reached a point where he wants to be with someone and, and, and found someone that he clicks with. And, um, and he has so much to offer and to bring to the table, but he's very, very wise. And his um, his ability, he so j- has so much depth, right you know, now. to j- see j- things and bring revelation to things that are so powerful for me. He and I have clicked from day one. We work well together. Um, we have a very well, um, you know, like we bounce things off each other. And and another thing I want to say, we we decided to talk some positive, no, awesome things me. about no, you. I was talking. Uh, I was. We talking were talking shit. some awesome, as as you left amazing. Room, and then Ginger was sticking up for you. She was like, "That's not true. No, He's a great guy." He was talking amazing stuff about well, you, and then I. And so now I'm going to kick in too, really quick. Um, the one thing that um, I love about Stephen Steen more than anything is that, um, and you don't find this a lot in people that get on their own path and start moving in their own direction, is that Stephen remains um, teachable and receiving. Like Stephen and I can, um, it's like almost, and, and a lot of it's maybe just because we're on the same page, but even if not, like Stephen will be like, I'm thinking about doing this, and I'm like, well, why don't you do this, blah, 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 because I'm always like idea central. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? <laughs> and I'll drop something. And he's like, yeah, I think I like that. I'm going to roll with that. Like, I'm going to do that. I'm, that's good. I don't think that any good idea, any good adventure comes from, like, one man's mind. Mm-mm. And I'm all about collaborating with. The and that's what's so amazing about you is that you remain receivable and teachable because so many people, like, get on their one path and they don't want to take direction and they don't want to take any advice and they don't want to take any suggestions and they don't want to listen to what other people, you know, other people's ideas, people are you know, shit listeners yeah. and like I, whole. and, mm-hmm. and like I've thrown out some ideas and you're just like, yeah, that's good. You know, like you're very receiving and that's just always been like the coolest thing about you. Like so amazing. I think that's part of your success. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate that. So now I'm going to drop I, it. Like I apologize for the bathroom break. Um, I think I might've talked a little bit outside with you about this. Um, uh, for a class project, we were tasked to do a 10-day challenge for our substance abuse counseling class where we were instructed to give up one habit, one part of our life for 10 days mm-hmm. and write a paper about it. What was the experience like? And so I did no coffee for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, man, I love drinking tea. I drink tea like every night before bed. I got, you know, be a piece of cake, right? What happened was gave up coffee. coffee that was a piece of cake. No, no biggie. Not, not really that, not really like groggy in the morning, totally like, um, totally like awake, not really even a loss of energy, uh, however, lack of focus. And what happened was when I gave up coffee, all of a sudden my nicotine cravings just Mm. amplified, like just amplified. And so now that the 10 day challenge was over. I decided to roll over to Dunkin' before this podcast mm. and, f- and purchase a latte. 
And then I drank the whole latte. And when I got here before we started, I filled this cup back up with coffee from out there. Nice. So my, po- my apologies for the, uh, for the break. Oh. So I learned something from our good friend, Mr. Trevor Gates. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Love him. He calls himself the recovery cyborg mm-hmm. because he's wearing those glasses now. Mm-hmm. And he taught me something last night at Refuge Recovery and kind of relates to this um, relates to this topic in that, you know, you hear, we were talking about catchphrases earlier, but you hear everybody say, this too shall pass, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, in a way saying that like, okay, things are going to get better at some point or my, you know, life is kind of up and down the roller coaster of life. However, uh, what Trevor taught me was a meditation that we did last night that he presented at the refuge recovery group. And that is this too can be here. Mm. Meaning like, it's just all about how you are viewing or assessing the situation. So like this too shall pass. Oh my God, I can't wait for this wave of emotions to to pass Mm -hmm. they will pass but i just can't wait for it to it's like a a form of craving and this too can be here is like okay i'm feeling depressed what does depression feel like you know and it's okay to be to feel depressed or it's okay to feel the way that i'm feeling this too can be here it's a part of my life right it's the circumstances that i'm faced with today and it can be here it's okay the more I resist it, the more it's going to hurt. But how do I feel it? What does it feel like? So I don't know. I just want to share that with you. Yeah. This well, I, that's the place that I grow. I mean, it's in the storms. It's in the darkness. It's in the pain. It's in, like, there was purpose in my pain. There was purpose in my addiction. Like, there was purpose in all of the, the, the downfalls, the failures. Like, a failure is not a failure. Like, a failure is not a mistake. You know, it's the, it's the stepping stone for the comeback. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's it's not a failure like it's what motivates you like like you said sitting in it and being in that place I can stay in that place of a failure and allow it not to motivate me and to keep me from the next step or I can take that feeling of failure and understand that I'm not comfortable with that and allow it to motivate me to do something different like to get out of that place of depression and like I can't stay in that place for too long um it's just like uh I can't dance with the devil and expect not to get burned. Like I can't hang out with people that are still using and expect not to eventually use. So I can't stay in that place. I can't stay stagnant. You know, what we know for sure is that everything's changing. Every it's con there's constant change. And you know, so do we accept that change and move forward or do we stay stagnant? I can't be stagnant. Mm -hmm. You know, if I get stagnant, then everything begins to fall apart. And that's the way I felt like everything in my life was falling apart and I couldn't fix, manage and control it. So the strength came in surrendering to the fact that if I don't accept that I'm powerless over this situation, like it's always about step one. We admitted that we were powerless over disease and our lives had become unmanageable. And people just leave it there when they work the program. But in reality, If I don't accept that I'm powerless over Jake's choices and Jake's, Jake's addiction and Jake's, then my life becomes unmanageable. Like I cannot fix him. 
you know, and that ego, that pride, that God complex that made me feel like even from day one that I could change him or fix him. Like you said, you came into that relationship accepting that this is going to end one day, one way or the other. You came into So that means you came into the relationship accepting her for who she was. And either as, as it began to evolve, you would continue to accept her or it would be a place that you couldn't accept anymore and it would end. And I don't think I ever accepted that. I think I believe that I could always change it, you know? And, um, and because I have made an impact in so many different people's lives, you know? So why wouldn't I be able to make one in his? You know what I'm saying? Like we lie to ourselves. And, and that was the revelation for me. Like that's the transparency for me. Like I lied to myself for so long. Like across my rib cage, it says to thine own self be true. Like if we can't get honest with ourselves, we've already lost in the beginning. And the honesty with myself was that I never went into this with the right intention. Like I get upset and I stay in this place of anger and, and bitterness and, and sadness and depression because he's using or he's making choices that affect our family or I'm living in his insanity or I'm suffering the consequences of his using, like multiple car wrecks and citations and all this stuff, and I'm staying in it, but I never accepted. I went into it believing that I could change the outcome you know what I'm saying? I went into it lying to myself. How can I blame him? You can't. I can't. And that's the transparency. Like, I didn't get honest with myself from the beginning. I didn't accept that this was who he was. I accepted that this is who I am, and this is what I can do to him. Come with me. Mm-hmm. Come on. Let's go you to this, know? Let's have this party. You know, and um, so that's the reality. That's the rawness. That's the transparency. I set myself up for this. I lied to myself. But now that I've done it, how do I forgive him in the process? How do you forgive yourself? Hey, that's where I was just fixing to go. How do I forgive him in the process for just being who he was when I met him? You know what I'm saying? And how do I forgive myself? for lying to myself and believing. And that's the place where like my therapist kept saying, Ginger, I think you're so upset because you've compromised your own integrity. And not until just now in this moment when I said, how do I forgive myself for lying to myself? Did it finally click what she meant? You know, I've compromised my own integrity because I lied to myself. Not because um, he did what he did because I believed that I was a power greater than himself. I believed that I could be his higher power. I believed that I could change him. And we can't do that, you know? And I go to work every day knowing that I can't change these people, but I facilitate the opportunity. And then when the chance came for me to facilitate the opportunity for him, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't facilitate the opportunity for him because it affected my outcome. Like, that's total self-centeredness. That's sick. With seven years clean, that's some sick... That's what our disease will do to us. That's what this disorder will do to us. That's what the enemy will do to us. They come to kill, steal, and destroy. You know? And it's like, 
and this and it's cunning, baffling, and what is it? Cunning, baffling, and something else. I'm not familiar with the language. Yeah. Anyway, and like, so. I mean, I you know. So where like, do, where do we go from here? How do we? How do we? Endeavor this experience, and where does Ginger go? What are the st- what are, what is the action that needs to be taken? What are the next steps for you to? Well, I've already to started do- to do them because that's why I know I'm coming out on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like I've had to let go and let God. Mm-hmm. I've had to um, understand that I am not the Alpha and the Omega and the Almighty. I'm not God. I can't fix him. I've had to um, become self-aware and self-acceptance that, you know, um, I don't have all that power. Um, I've had to humble myself, you know. And, and the thing is, is like the word says, like, if, um, if we don't humble ourselves, he will humble us, you know, and he'll put you on your knees, and he has. Like, God has put me on my knees in a place where I can't do this anymore alone, and um, I think because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. I wanted a husband. I wanted a perfect life. I wanted a father for my daughter. I wanted this, this picture-perfect um, recovery, you know, um, that my impatience, you know, birthed the problem from my promises, you know what I'm saying, created this place of, of but it's left me stagnant, you know, that hindered my recovery, that hindered my purpose, that hindered my destination, that stopped my progress. And I did that to myself. So um, I continue to go to therapy. You know what I'm saying? I find a way to forgive myself. I feed myself with, of course, with the word and with sermons and forgiveness and understanding that, um, you know, because I am a Christian and I work, you know, my program is faith-based that, if I can't forgive myself, I say that every t- everything that tells me that he's forgiven me for everything I've done is not good enough. So now I'm telling him that he's not good enough. In and the, I can't do that. In this situation, what does forgiveness look like? Forgiveness is a verb. Forgiveness is action. Can I jump in and add Bring it, man. Something? Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, so, so I... I listen because I believe in it, but I like I also have people in my weird community who are like radical listeners, and then they have their like kind of their their theories on why listening is important. And my one of my best friends, Brett Davidson, who is a Open Society Foundation, and and introduced me to the the grant officer who is running my grant right now. His uh, his piece of his philosophy, his theory is that listening is enough. So he works with a foundation and you know, you're supposed to get results, you're supposed to like get in the media, you're supposed to make change, and his theory in the purity of listening is that listening, listening is enough. If you go into a community and, and you listen to them, you've already done something. And so I think, you know, coming through this evening, this experience, voicing your narrative out loud to two friends is I just think that should just be recognized for mm-hmm. what it is before you know you everyone hastens into what's next and what's happening and I think the the fact that you just you you articulated shared your narrative with two friends and with this larger platform 
that is something which is really by itself, nothing else changes already is kind of an immense mm -hmm. action. And then I also believe in like the fact that when you do articulate these things and people do listen, that it in, a, in a way, you know, this creates change. This is the, bu the butterfly effect. The blood butterfly's wing creates a hurricane thousands of miles away by letting stuff already move. And I think that, you know, again, sitting here and sharing a narrative story with friends has probably set in stuff in motion that we won't recognize mm -hmm. until months, years down. But being here and, and articulating a narrative to people who are listening is an important action in itself. Yeah, and that's what I told Stephen was like, I know there's freedom on the other side of this. Like mm -hmm. secrets keep us sick. Like when I stay in that place where I don't talk about it, where I don't share about it, where I don't um, take authority over it, where I don't stand up and say, you know, this is where I'm at, um, and I don't let people know what's going on with me, then I have that much more potential for my back to be up against the wall where I may use, I may make a rational, you know, an irrational decision, like do something that's totally against, I could lose everything, you know, and it's like, um, that's a place that I don't want to be in. I don't want to be in that place anymore. And, um, and so, and that's one reason why I wanted to do this was to say, was for me to have the freedom of saying, I've always learned that like, when you speak it out and you talk about it, it loses its power over you. And then also, I've always had a social media following and stayed on that platform because it gives me accountability. So now people know what's going on with me, and so now they're checking in with me, and now they're making sure I'm okay. And now, so I forced myself to be engaged when I've been in this place of isolation. Um, I forced myself to take responsibility for my own actions. So now I have to do something different. And and the transparency of. Um, the people with seven months or 17 years clean or seven days clean or seven years clean, you know, or 70 years, you know what I'm saying? Like, no matter how much clean time we have, like, we still make irrational decisions. We still make impulsive decisions. We still put our recovery in danger. We still put our life in danger. We still put our kids in danger with, with all behavior and choices and decisions and, and stuff like that. And, and like, you're no different than, I'm no different than that. Like just because I've got seven years clean does not mean it's pink unicorns and purple rainbows. Mm -hmm. Does not mean that it's all wonderful all the time. Just because I have 21 letters behind my name does not mean that my life, it looks like, you know, a picture frame, mm -hmm. you know, that perfect picture. It doesn't, it's not the way it is. It's not reality. Reality is loss and relationships and death are the two things that'll take us back out there quicker than anything and that you can get in that place at any time in your recovery and and that um and not to be afraid to tell your sponsor to share it in a meeting to tell your friends to reach out to your family to get a therapist to to like speak out on where you're at to tell somebody because once you tell somebody you have accountability and someone's checking in on you someone's making sure you're okay you are breaking the bonds of that isolation, that bondage that you're keeping yourself in by not talking about it. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why I did this. Like, if you're struggling today, if you're facing some adversity, if you're still wanting to use, like if you got family members that are using, if you're making, if you're gambling and you're not using, but you're gambling, if you're, um, 
not using, but you're acting out sexually, if, you're, if God's calling you to do something different and you don't want to surrender to God because you don't think you're good enough, like the bottom line is like we, we all deal with this stuff and, and, and speak out about it. Talk to somebody, reach out, you know, reach out to me, reach out to Stephen, reach out to NC Raw, make a post on Facebook, like ask somebody for help you know, and be bold enough to say, I'm not doing this right right now, and I'm in danger. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the most dangerous part that happened for me was about two months ago, um, two, two and a half months ago or so, maybe three, I don't know. Um, I watched Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder <laughs> and all that stuff, you know. And, <laughs> and you know, on uh, Scandal, the White House, they're always drinking, Every single scene, there's someone with one of those fancy crystal cups and yeah. those fancy canters, and they're fixing some alcohol. I don't know how they do it. Honestly, in real life, yeah. like you have a couple of, you know, glasses of pure whiskey. And yeah. how, how, what are you doing for the rest of the afternoon? I know, but like, dude, they, it's all, you know, don't it's all Don't ask me over, what I'm doing. I know, right? Because it's all over scandal. And, I, and, you know, I watch that stuff. I don't think anything about it anymore. And what happened for me was I was sitting there, and Jake was actually there on the couch, and he was looking at something, and he's like, I was like, what are you thinking? And he was like, I'm looking at that alcohol. I was like, I know it looks good, doesn't it? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I wish I... I was like, yeah. And I I was like, yeah, sometimes I wish I had some. And I knew in that moment, when I was was watching him and listening to him, and I was looking at the TV, and I knew in that moment that if there was liquor, if there was alcohol right there in front of me, I could have drank it in that moment and had no guilt and no shame. And like I could have done it and kept on moving. Went to work, been the post child for recovery, like kept on moving. Because the pain was so severe. Yeah, because everything was so real. And I was in such a place of like, I had nothing left to give. I was so empty, I was so numb, I was so hurt because I was still trying to fix everything and I had this unrealistic expectation, not just in him, an unrealistic expectation that I could do that, that I had the power to do that. And um, I would. And so, but look, when I sat there and I knew that I would feel no shame, no guilt, no remorse, I was like, oh my God, I've got to do something different. I am truly in the danger zone because never in seven years of my recovery have I felt that way. Like we all know those thoughts come through. I'm, man, I wish I could have one of those. Oh, and it like fleets through your mind and you're like, oh yeah, but then by Sunday I'd be on a 30 pack and I, you know, I can't do that. I got to, dude, I would hate the, the thought of being altered. I don't want to be altered. I don't want to be different. I don't want to feel any different, blah, 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 blah. And um, like instantly, the minute you have the thought, the, the plate, the tape plays out and you're like, nope, wouldn't want to feel that way. Yeah. Wouldn't want the hangover. It would be a disaster. But in that moment, I didn't have those feelings. And that scared the crap out of me. That scared me so bad because never have I ever felt like I wouldn't have any remorse or any guilt or any shame from picking up. Because I'm a one-chip wonder, which means I picked up one white key tag and I've, there's not a relapse in my story yet. Not that there couldn't be, but I don't believe that there has to be. You know, and that which is what scared me more than anything, was knowing that I could do it with no emotion. I had reached that point. 
again, we all could get to that point mm-hmm. in our in our story in our lives. Um, you know, like our brains, our minds are hardwired to take these challenging moments. So, so um, we take them so personally, right? It's like I'm doing all the right things. I've done everything the program says I should do. I've done everything my sponsor or whoever tells me to do, right? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated this way. I think that's hardwired into our DNA. It's kind of like a survival deal. I don't necessarily know, but um, what I do know is that without like conscious awareness, it ha- it's going to happen regardless. We had a mudslide on my little mountain road last weekend. <clears throat> a couple of days later, they closed the road. So I have a 30-mile detour to get here. Oh, Jesus. About Today? A, every f- Until the 18th of March. About 40 to 50 minutes, depending on traffic. Today on the detour, they're doing construction on the detour. <laughs> The little like man with the stop sign. They, mm-hmm. they got it down to one lane. Man stopping traffic in two places. Stopping traffic, and I'm just like driving. I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, what is this? Like, and I just it wasn't me, right? It wasn't it wasn't um, like uh, intentional thought patterns of thought. It was like my mind just like creating this story. Like, this is bullshit. I can't believe this has happened to me. I don't deserve this crap. <laughs> How dare I they, got stuff to do. How dare they close my road? Yeah. Like all this shit. And it's just like as it's the as it starts rolling, I can observe it and I could like take a step back and I could see it see it happening and like kind of stop it and maybe not pay attention to it. Like like just turn the radio up a little bit and listen to the whatever I was listening to and not really acknowledge it because I got nothing to complain about. Got a beautiful cabin, a beautiful view, one great neighbor, a lot of peace and solace up there. You know, what do I have to complain about an extra 40 minute drive for two weeks? No big deal, dude. I've come overcome so many greater (laughs) challenges than a 40 minute drive. That's 40 extra minutes of an audio book or 40 extra minutes of a podcast, 40 extra minutes of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. It's about how you look at the situation. Mm Why Ginger? Why Ginger Malcolm? Why is this happening to me after seven years? Seven years in long-term recovery. How could this happen to me? Yes. Of all people, I've me. I've asked myself that question a thousand yeah. times. So how do you stop? You know, how do you not look at it that way? And how do you look at it like that's 40 more minutes of learning, 40 more minutes of audiobook, podcast, whatever it is. Like, how do you... How, it, it's It's effort and it's action, but like... What do you do, right? Like how how does somebody that's tuning in and hear that's just heard your story that's in a similar situation or has been through a similar situation or is in their, that situation themselves, right? How do wh- what is the what are the steps that someone should take? You talked about reaching out for help and contacting folks through Facebook and things like that, but like. It's hard to come to terms with that. You talked about the guilt and the shame that's associated with it, which is, again, yourself, you taking it personally. You taking the the circumstances of your life personally. Dude, I'm so like, I'm so like, I am not taking life seriously. 
like uh, it's almost like on the opposite end of the spectrum like it's dangerous how uh how little how well, what am i trying to say how lax l- yes yes like it's not that big of a deal grades oh well it's a grade you know like it's just i don't it's not i've i've stressed so much in my life mm-hmm. over the bullshit little freaking things like a roadblock little little tiny things like a, a disagreement with my boss that like I know where that road leads so I'm gonna just ride it out I'm just gonna it's just gonna happen and it, it's not a big deal it's probably hours upon hours of meditation as well but you begin to see clearly that like none of this shit matters dude mm-hmm. I do not have time for a headache right I do not have time to be stressed out about anything no matter how busy busy my life is um what is a hard it's a difficult skill to learn it's a difficult i think it is a skill like it takes habitual practice and i'm not telling you that my life is perfect and that everything is just like what you describe this picture to be um i'm telling you that like my relationship to those difficulties is different after long a lot of effort and a lot of work um and i've been there like i've been in that relationship in early recovery you know where the person that i thought i was going to spend the rest of my life with didn't make the changes that i made and chose the drugs over and alcohol over me over the relationship you know i've been there i know what it feels like but I also know how know what it feels like to to learn from that experience and to take direct a, direct action immediately. And I didn't have a podcast platform at that time to just like come on here and like spew it out. I just like focused every moment of my life on that forgiveness practice and focused on like taking responsibility for my actions like you have done tonight and have done throughout this process. This ain't this isn't a coming clean party like you've talked about this privately for a while now the forgiveness aspect the forgiveness process you talked about mercy in the beginning of the podcast and um it's a priority to you right like you you recognize it you you are aware of the importance in it so I guess I'll circle back to that and say, what does a forgiveness look like? Mm-hmm. What, wh- and even to take it a step further in this world where like everybody's, um, everybody's getting in trouble for like the things that they say and mm-hmm. the political or mm-hmm. whatever views that they have, and you're right, I, you're wrong, I'm right, like what does the forgiveness process look like? But even more importantly, because I think this is different for everybody. More importantly, what does the path to redemption look like? Mm, Right? That's a huge question. So to start with like the forgiveness process, what that looks like. um, All right. So I have to get back to my gift and what I give. So I give all this mercy and all this empathy and all this compassion to other people, but yet I fail to give it to myself. So then, and I want to tell people that um, we're human suffering from a human condition. 
So then I have to sit back and look at myself and realize, Ginger, you're human. Like, you're not perfect. You're not the poster child for recovery. You're not going to get this right all the time. But what I know is that I haven't picked up. And if I pick up, there's still that hope shot. Like, I got a hope shot right now today if I don't pick up. But if I pick up, it's over with. Everything's gone. The life, the career, and it may, it may happen quickly, it may happen slowly, but it's going to happen. Like, it's over with. Like, I still have the chance for, for hope and change and, and revelation and, and, and redemption, like you said, if I don't pick up no matter what. And, like, I can't, and, like, when that moment came that I knew I would feel no guilt or remorse, like, that would have been my next move would be to pick up, so I know that I can't do that. You know what I'm saying? And it's like I said before, like, something in me has to want this more than something wants to die. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and like, even with being in a place of depression where I just want to give up and I just want to throw in a towel and I'm done and I don't, I don't want to do this anymore, like, that's not what I was called to do, and I know that internally inside of me because, see, I, I've died. I flatlined twice in the back of the ambulance at the age of 15 from a suicide attempt. Like, I was not to meant, meant to go out of this world like that. was not meant to do that. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have a purpose and a destiny and a reason. And so that's the road to redemption is knowing that there's a purpose and a reason behind my, my pain, my story, like, and knowing that... Um, I can't give people what I'm not willing to give myself. So how do you hold yourself accountable to that? Just like this. Yeah. Coming out here and saying, look, I'm not okay, and this is why. You know, um, I think a lot of times in recovery, especially in NA and stuff, we build these relationships and we have this community and this found this recovery network and this foundation and this support system. And when things start going wrong in our life and we start having episodes, we expect those people to reach out to us because we've built these relationships. But yet we've fallen off the grid like we've stopped going to meetings or we've stopped going to church or we've stopped going to uh, events or stuff like that. And we expect these people to just come and say, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? Are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on with you? I saw a post on Facebook, like, what's going on with you? Like, that's an unrealistic expectation. I can't expect people to know what's going on with me if I don't ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If I don't say that something is wrong, if I don't take responsibility, that's the road to redemption, is like taking responsibility and surrendering to the fact that I can't fix this stuff on my If I could have done this on my own, just like in my addiction, if I could have done it on my own, I would have done it already. If I could have gotten out of this mess and this depression and this numbness and this on my own, I wouldn't be sitting here right now because I'm sitting here saying, this is where I am. I'm not okay. And I don't want to go back out there. And, and I need help. Like, I need you to know what's going on with me so that, so that I'm not offended because you haven't called and checked on me. Like, I can't expect you to check on me if, I don't, if I'm not open and honest about what's going on with me. And then I also have to understand that it's not other people's responsibility to keep me clean. 
It's not other people's responsibility to save me from myself. Because there will come a time in everyone's recovery where there's no sponsor, no mentor, no network, no one's answering the phone. It's just you and God. It's just you and your addiction. And what are you going to do? Who are you, you going to surrender to? Are you going to surrender to the addiction? Are you going to surrender to a power greater than yourself? Are you going to go to a place of meditation? Are you going to use what you know works? Are you going to go back to the basics? You know what I'm saying? And I think the revelation that you bring to the table when you say, um, I'm able to sit in those emotions and understand that is, like you said, like a long period of time of meditation and understanding and acceptance. Your level of acceptance of where you are is phenomenal. Like, I have a lot of tolerance but I don't think I have the level of acceptance that you do. You know what I'm saying? And that's like a beautiful thing to have. What I've heard a lot of tonight <clears throat> is to never, regardless of the amount of clean time you have, regardless of the circumstances and the challenges and the joys and all of what life entails, regardless of any of that stuff, what I'm, what I'm taking away from this conversation is to never lose sight of the basics, right? Yeah. Surrender into your disease, reaching out for help, staying in contact with your fellowship and continuing to work your program. It's all just, it's all the basics. It's all the things that we learned when, when we first got clean, early recovery, right? Mm -hmm. But we, we enter this like realm of comfort zone, right? Complacency. I got this bro. You know, I had the guys on last week. We we're talking about cannabis legalization in Cherokee. You know, I got this, dude. I can smoke a joint or I can, you know what I mean? Like, it's like this, this place of, um, this like delusion, mm -hmm. this delusion like encroaches on us. And the next thing you know, we're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We're vulnerable. We're right on the edge. I'm back know? to that, to thine own self be true, like total, mm -hmm. complete honesty. Like I can't, even if they, okay, so alcohol is legal. And I can't drink alcohol yeah. because alcohol was harder for me to put down than the meth. Yeah. And it led me to the same place, jails, institutions, or death. Damn right. And, um, and so even if marijuana is legal, I can't smoke marijuana because I'm just as addicted to the lifestyle as I am the drugs. Because I can't go buy a nick and smoke it because I want the half ounce. And then I want to tell everybody, oh, I got some fire, some loud, some gas. I'm buying a quarter pound, dude. It's finna go out the door, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's me, yeah. and I'm not confused about that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just smoke one. I'm finna start selling it. Cause I, mm -hmm. Everybody's got to know what I got. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. And, um, like, that's the being honest with yourself. Like, you're talking about that. Like, there's no way. I can't. Mm. And, it, and if I get honest with myself, then I can get honest with you. See, I couldn't get honest with myself. I couldn't come on here and say all this stuff till I got honest with myself. And when I had that revelation, I called you and I was like, Stephen, I've got to go on here and be like, this is what's going on with me. And like, we can get through this no matter what. Anyone that's, that's listening to me in any kind of pain, with any kind of adversity, with any kind of struggles, with life, they've lost their job, they've lost their loved one, they've lost their family, they've lost their car, they've lost their whatever they've lost, whoever's died, whatever's passed, whatever they think they're never going to get through, whatever they think they can't fix, manage, or control, like there's hope today. This is that hope shot. You know what I'm saying? I am my own hope shot. When I get honest with myself, I have hope.
that I can do something different. You know what I'm saying? And, and all of that's internal from, like you said, the basics, like what we learned, what to do. And that's what I have to get back to is what works. I have to be honest with myself. I have to be honest with other people. I have to tell people what's going on with me. I have to connect. And I have to keep moving forward. And I have to remember that it's always those darkest places are five minutes before the miracle. Yeah. I mean, five minutes, I have lost jobs and then landed jobs, like made more money than I ever thought I would ever make. I have had, I have lost houses and then been given a house that's half the price of the house that I was in and way better. You know what I'm saying? Like lost, car, like all kinds of stuff. I think you are the miracle, kid. Huh? <laughs> huh? You yeah. are the miracle. We'll be waiting five minutes, man. You are the miracle. Well, you know what the definition of a miracle is? Tell me. It is an unexpected event in human affairs requiring divine intervention. And that's what happened to me. Recovery was an unexpected event, mm -hmm. and it required divine intervention. Like everything that's happened to me, the miracles that have happened in my recovery were unexpected events that required divine intervention. And I spoke things over myself, like, why do I keep doing the next right thing? I can't get a job. I can't go to work, even though I'm clean. Like, I knew why, after I had my last child, I knew why I stayed clean. But sometimes it's about why do I keep doing the next right thing? Why do I keep doing this when I'm facing, when I just lost this job and, and they're not doing me right, they're not paying me right, they're not this, you know what I'm saying? Like, why do I keep doing the next right thing? And, and then... Because you know what the alternatives are. Yeah, but the door closes, and the one that opens is that much more bigger and that much more broader and that much more important. You know what I'm saying? And five minutes before the miracle, for me, like, this is a place of growth and revelation because, like, there's so much more for me on the other side. Like, there's a book. There's a book coming out of me. There's a book coming out of me. There's a clothing line. We've already got 17,000 words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a book coming out of me. There's a clothing line coming out of me. Like, there's, you know what I'm saying? It's just... There's there's a platform for me on the state level for reentry, you know. There's a there's just amazing and not to mention, you know, in Asheville in in April on the 25th, I'll be teaching the science of addiction and recovery at the Addiction Professionals of North Carolina. Like seven years ago, I stood in front of a judge in shackles and waist chains, and in a month and a half, I will present to the addiction professionals of North Carolina the science of addiction and recovery. The shirt says, this girl is going to change the world. Huh? This girl is going to change the world. She's already changing it. And yeah. I'm not the only one. Like, mm -hmm. and that's the thing. Like, mm -hmm. I have a gift, and I bring something to the table, and this is my place, and this is my advocacy. But guess what? Every person in recovery has a gift and something to bring to the table and, and a position on the team. And everyone does. Like, if I could do, if I did the same, if I could do the same things you could do and you could do the same things I could do, then one of us is irrelevant. Mm. That don't work for me. I got to be able to do what I can do so you can do what you can do. And then when we, when we all get together, we, like we make a difference. It's about the relationships we build. It's about the things that we do. It's about the way that we empower each other. And it's about the individuals. And I'm going to tell you something. These people that come on this podcast fan my flame. Yeah. Philip Cooper, you know, Nick Short, like the two guys you had on here last week, like Johnny Kennedy, like those are the people that fan my flame. 
You know, Me too. Every, they get every you Monday. fired up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They 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 make you Gene motivated. They make Lauren, you. Lauren. Yeah, like Lauren and Janiah. You know, Caleb and Caitlin. Like, those are the people that fan my flame. You know, and they and they get me back on fire, and they keep me on track. And and uh, and it's hard, you know, to know. Uh, and that's the place that I've been in, like knowing what I'm in in my own personal relationship and then seeing this beautiful love story unfold with Caitlin and Caleb on Facebook, you know what I'm saying? But also knowing and understanding the adversity that they face. You know, Caleb, Caleb has um, children, uh, you know, children already. Caitlin's never had children. You know, what does that look like for them now that they have Leanne's, you know, his mother has her children and so there's already six children involved that they take care of and help raise. And then they want to get married and have their own family. So, you know, even though I see it as what I've always wanted, do I really want six kids kids at 42 years old? I don't think so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And imagine what, you know, his mother, you know, has got all of these children now. And um, so, you know, it's not always, like I said, pink horseshoes and purple uniforms, you know? Back to the basics, baby. Well, listen, we just did two hours, y'all. I'm going to wrap this baby up. Way yeah. too much. Way Another too much. 17,000 words. Another 17,000 words. The book is half re- written right now. I yeah. know, right? <laughs> but you all are amazing. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of. I can't wait for ex- uh, episode, what, 77 or 107? Uh, we'll play by ear. I don't know. I don't have any. I don't know. I got a book. <laughs> I got to see what's going on. I got so many people coming at us, man. Like... I probably already have 77 booked already. Number 77. There's so many folks coming to us. Uh, I got some more for you, too. How can, uh, let's go give us the information on how they can get a hold of you, purchase shirts, and then how can people get a hold of Johnny Kennedy to share their wonderful stories Mm -hmm. with you? So, Ginger Living Proofwear is my Facebook page, and then Living Proofwear is the the Facebook page for the shirts, and then my website's not up yet, but it's coming. Um, It would be livingproofwear.com. Um, you can always message me, inbox me. You can pay on Facebook. Uh, you know, like I said, PayPal, Square, Cash App, and um, or just word of mouth. You know, I'm in Asheville all the time. If you're in Asheville and you want one, just let me know. I'll come by and bring them to you. Um, and then, uh, what else did you tell me to do besides Johnny Kennedy um, and my shirts? Uh, oh, and the Seraphin Fund Group. The Seraphin Group is wanting to pick up my shirts and start carrying on their label. And then I've also created some candles, um, all natural uh, aromatherapy candles. I just got one of them in today. It says I'm this totally, girl. Totally that says, about that says this girl is going to change the world. And um, so I have a couple of websites, um, hopeondeck.com, that's wanting to carry my shirts and sell them. Um, the Seraphim Fund, like, I mean, it's really, it's coming together. It's going to be amazing. I hope I can keep up. But We're uh, going to candle ourselves. And then you can, so Johnny P. Kennedy, you can send him a friend <laughs> request or a message on Facebook. Or if you're friends with me already or with NCR, NC Raw podcast you can send steven or someone a message and then we'll link you all together on facebook messenger um anyone that you know that's an active addiction that's willing to speak um please reach out to them and um see if they will come to the table that would be phenomenal and johnny i'll give it to you i think you did all the <laughs> <you. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> no i don't ginger you just you did a great job 
Mm-hmm. Did a fantastic job, sweetie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, we did two hours and you didn't even need these. I know, but that? I almost did. Nice. I held it back. That's why they're I'm there. Glad. Thank you guys for tuning in to NC Raw and thank you to the Comfort Inn for providing this wonderful space for us uh, to record yeah. in. You can visit our website at www.ncraw.life and subscribe while you're there just by dropping your email address into the little subscription box so that way every time we publish a episode a few days after you will get an email with all the links to listen mm-hmm. and links to YouTube and all that stuff and also visit our Patreon page mm-hmm. patreon.com slash ncraw um, if you are finding value in this podcast Stephen wants a sugar daddy or a sugar mama I'm looking for a sugar daddy or a sugar mama or one dollar a month any of the above yep. um, we want to be able to purchase our own recording studio build our own recording studio and we're going to make it a recovery community center where folks can come and hang out and oh, yeah, we're collaborate and do all those are things are we still going to collaborate on that? so visit our page drop a couple dollars if you can we're doing exclusive content through the Patreon page like this podcast will be uploaded on the Patreon page tonight and then tomorrow it'll be released to everybody else um, we're doing behind the scenes stuff like we did tonight every week. It's just extra content. So thank you guys for checking us out. Y'all have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you to the comfort Inn of Silva, North Carolina for providing the lovely space that we record in each day. They're located at 1235 East main street in Silva, North Carolina. They're also a part of the Choice Hotels um, Hospitality Company. You can book a room by visiting choicehotels.com. Comfort Inn was super nice about accommodating us. Um, We've been here for, gosh, probably six or eight months. Um, They are a huge recovery ally in the community. They support recovery. They support community-based organizations like NC Raw. So if you happen to be visiting the area, um, pop in and say hello, book a room, stay the night. Summertime's coming up, spring weather's around the corner. It's a beautiful time of the year to visit. So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, if you would like to get early access to this podcast and all future podcasts, as well as exclusive content while helping us achieve our long-term goal of opening a recovery community center that will double as a recording studio we're trying to get our own place with high speed broadband internet always a challenge on monday nights to catch our live streams um throw us a couple bones a couple dollars one or two dollars a month will we will be more than grateful uh, for any contribution that will assist in us achieving that goal and like i said you get exclusive content um behind the scenes live stream every monday night for about 30 minutes get exclusive access to these podcasts um early release 24 to 48 hours before we release them to the general public as well as some other behind the scenes recordings that i've collected over the last year of um of doing this show i've been i'm gonna start dropping little little bits and stuff that we've recorded that didn't actually make the show so again thanks for tuning in we're grateful for the support